The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today is the CEO and co-founder of Sidedoor, a Canadian tech startup founded in 2017. There are times when I've been thought of as Dan's wife. There are current headlines in the media right now that it says Dan Mangan's side door. So that's a thing. So he's considered the face of side door, even though I'm the CEO and I run the entire business. And there are lots of times when I'm not able to be as vocal in the room. Sometimes it's annoying. Being front and center as the one who is the name attached to it is less interesting to me. It's always for me been about putting numbers on the board, making sure that things happen. Today on the Women in Media podcast, we're talking with Laura Simpson. How are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? I'm great. You've been nominated by one of our mutual friends, uh, Lindsay Duncan, an amazing photographer, to come on uh, the podcast. She thinks your life is very interesting. And of course, I've been intrigued from the sidelines as well. <laughs> well, it's funny because I listened randomly to that podcast and didn't know I was in it, mentioned in it. <laughs> Sidor has, I think, been um, in a really interesting position over the last few years. But let's go back to the beginning, how it all started, where you come from, your career. Um, you've sort of always worked in music. What was your first professional job in the industry? What came first? I can't remember if I was a photographer first of live music. I didn't I guess I didn't really get paid. So if you, if you continue, if you consider it a paying position, I guess the freelance uh, journalist was my first gig. So I was covering, you know, reviewing concerts and interviewing people I interviewed like Sarah McLaughlin and, you know, all tons of in, like indie Canadian bands. I interviewed, I think I was winter sleeps first interview, like major Look interview at you. and, uh, and then reviewed like Slayer concerts and like boy George coming as a DJ to Halifax. Um, yeah, that was my first paying gig. Are you still on the East Coast, by the way, right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm still in Halifax. Still in Halifax, love it. And working from home, obviously. And and your job allows you to do so. Absolutely, yep. My uh, kid's husband and dog are on the other side of this door. Love it. So from that position, moving into, you know, a tech startup company, Dan and you obviously had a connection that left an Im impact on both of you. How did, how did that relationship begin? Um, it actually began because of a mutual friend who's an artist, Rich O'Coin. And he had been hearing from both of us that we were working on a project, like simultaneously sort of in the same world of trying to make house concerts more accessible and easy to book. Dan was coming at it from the artist perspective and helping artists under his sub-label. And I was coming at it from somebody who was hosting live shows at their house. And, and where did that idea come from? Like for you, what, what? I had been hosting uh, since 2011. And I also had been working in the industry. Like at, at that point, I was working for Music Nova Scotia for um, seven years. Uh, and, and I used to take vacation and work uh, for the East Coast Music Awards and for the jazz festival. And I, like, I would take breaks to work for other facets of the industry. And any way I looked at it, I was like, man, there's not a really good ROI for the artists in a lot of cases. <laughs> like if you were booked for a festival, you had to figure out how to, you know, get the funding to even get there, even though the pay might be better. And then when you're, when I was a funding officer, I'd help 
uh, find funding for tours. And like, they just weren't, they didn't ever come back with a profit. And like, it was just, it's just always really hard, but I would do house shows. And I was like, they're taking hundred percent of the gate. In most cases, it's a really good vibe, really good connection with the audience. And I was like, this is something that I really think I want to focus on. And when I was at those shows, it was all I wanted to do. The feeling was just so amazing. Yeah. There's something really special about like a small intimate environment. And, you know, I've been in a few of those myself over the years and it's very different from what you get at a, you know, a club show, an arena show, a stadium show. It's, it's just a different um, experience. Had you, had you seen that done really well somewhere before you started doing it yourself? That's a good question. Um, I hadn't (laughs) been to a house concert before I started hosting them actually. Um, but I, you know, helped a lot with other live events, like through music Nova Scotia and other festivals and, you know, events and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was kind of on a whim that I was like, yeah, everybody come into my house for a show. (laughs) Okay. So, so then you hear through Rich O'Coin that, uh, Dan is working on something similar from the artist perspective. How do, how does it grow from there? Um, I think, Rich did like a Facebook message to both of us or something to connect us so that Dan wouldn't just think I was some weirdo. And, uh, and then I, yeah, he was doing a Nova Scotia symphony show in January, 2016. And so I actually had just come back from Los Angeles. I worked in Los Angeles for four months, um, mentoring there under, um, with a music company. Um, and then I, I think we had been in touch while I was in LA. And then when he came to Halifax, we met up at the Lord Nelson hotel and had brunch and really hit it off. And by the end of the conversation, he was like, let's do this. And I think you should be the captain of this ship. And then I was like, okay, done. And that was it. That was it. Did you have any feelings about like, oh, I don't know if I want this to continue to be my own thing or if I want to open the door to working with someone. Did you ever feel weird about that? Oh yeah. Like, and even my husband actually was quite vocal and like, this is your idea. You should do it yourself. And I was like, I understand like what that could look like, but I also understand the value of having someone like Dan, who is so well-respected in the industry. He's coming at it from an artist perspective. He's on the other side of the, he's like in Vancouver. Um, he's got a lot of connections. Like I think the, the two of us together could really make a go of it. And I'm always leaning more towards the side of collaboration rather than like um, validating my pride, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, it's building the ship. Where, like, where do you start? I think about now in the pandemic and like, thank God you had started working on this so far back because you were prepared when COVID took over. Oh man. Yeah. So we really kind of built, I, at the beginning, I, I didn't know it was going to be a tech startup, but I, there was a co-working space in town for tech companies. And I just like hung out at it. Like it was a singles bar looking for developers. I was like, does this, what do you do? Do you just like wait for them to show up and be like, Hey, what are you working on? Um, but then I found out about this accelerator program and then I took part in that. And that really helped shape the development of the company as a tech startup because it was a technical solution. We were basically trying to envision not like a nonprofit agency or like it wasn't anything else. It was a tech solution. So we had 
built it out, like wireframed it out and got our first funding, I think in 2017, we incorporated in 2017, started fundraising. That's fast. That's one year from the brunch. Well, and the brunch, like, honestly, we had the brunch and then I developed a whole other event and ran that for two years. And I had started another company that's still happening. Like the Syrup Factory is its own artist services company that was still happening. And so this was all on the side and I had a family, blah, 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 blah. So it was like, this was on the side and then did the accelerator program and then incorporated April, 2000. And so it'd be five years old this year. And um, yeah, it was like uh, a real learning curve. I never went to business school. I did a philosophy and history degree. Like there was so many acronyms to learn. It was insane. And so I, I kind of figured all that out as I was going along. And then, yeah, by the time we had hit the pandemic, we were on version, like we released our 1.0, which is like, you can do everything yourself. You could book yourself a show. You could ticket it and get paid out all in one go. So we were having shows happening without our intervention and they weren't just house shows. They were like so many different kinds of venues. And, you know, we had even done a, a couple of shows in the U.S., and I think we had done like 350 shows at that point. And yeah, when the pandemic hit, we were like, well, Dan and I had been on Zoom all the time anyway. And so we just tried that out like 10 days after the pandemic hit. And we were like, this works. Let's dig in. And then we built out a whole online portion of the platform, released the 2.0 the next year, which was like all the built-in tools you need to do an online show, whether it's broadcast or on Zoom, all the ticketing around that. And then like all the shows generally started drying up. And then we started doing all these like ticketing features to help festivals and like established venues. And now we have like established organizations using us for ticketing. It's a bit of a beast now, actually, to be honest, like the platform can do a lot. Well, so, you know, in reading like the about section on the website, a dedicated team of artists and technologists committed to building a more efficient, fair and decentralized global ecosystem for the performing arts. We believe anybody should be able to perform, curate and present shows for their communities. So taking that piece and and looking at exactly what you just said, festivals, being interested in working with you guys, um, what's the vision originally, would you say, for indie artists? And now you realize how much potential is in this vision? Yeah, it's it's still for indie artists. And actually this year, we're really trying to pull it back to that original vision because it's so easy to get caught up in what pays the bills. And so, but it's not what's interesting to us and it's not the bigger problem to solve. I, I would argue that artists were in crisis before the pandemic and they are more than ever now. And my appetite to solve that problem, like the ROI problem and just the like sustainable pay and like fair labor practices and stuff like that is still what my personal life mission is about. So I really, we're really kind of steering the ship back in that direction. And we're sort of cutting off development in the sort of online and ticketing world. We're just like, okay, we're good there. Let's go back to the original version of the platform where we can match make an artist with any place to play anywhere in the world. So they can just go do that show, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really hard to like stay connected to that, you know, that root vision uh, in any project for so many entrepreneurs. So 
I respect that you already, when you're so early in the game, are like, nope, let's go back to what we said we were going to do. I'm going to ask you this, and please don't think it's directed at Dan, because it's not. Female in the tech space, how's that experience been for you? You know, it's been it's been really okay. Like, I don't think I've felt, hmm, let me qualify that. <laughs> there are times when uh, I've been thought of as Dan's wife. Um, I've been thought of as not like there is, there are current headlines in the media right now that it says Dan Mangan's side door. And so that's a thing. So he's considered the face of side door, even though I'm the CEO and I run the entire business. Um, And there are lots of times when I'm not able to be as vocal in the room. And sometimes that's okay. And I play that it's fine. And Sometimes it's annoying. I can see how like you fully understand the exposure piece and what he brings to the table. But exactly. But at the same time, it's like, do you do you just let that headline slip or do you write to that person being like, by the way? <laughs> I know what it is about. Like I know, I know what it's about because they're just I was in journalism. So they're selling the clickbait, right? That needs to be a recognizable name. Nobody knows my name. So they put that name in there. And I get that. And like, again, I'm not looking for that validation of like, I'm the one who did it. You know, I, I have like negotiated what I need from this company. And so that is satisfying to me. Being front and center as the one who is the name attached to it is less interesting to me. It's always for me been about putting numbers on the board, making sure that the things happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was the hardest lesson that you've learned so far in the tech space? Cause I I would be like, especially coming from the music world, I would be very intimidated if I'm being honest. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, I am managing so many people who know how to do things that I don't know how to do. And like the entire product team, like, I just don't know how they do what they do. I'm still the dork. who's like, Hey, is this a singles bar for developers? Like I don't. So that means like my language and my full understanding of what I'm asking people to do is sometimes limited. However, I think that actually gives that naivete can give me an edge and Dan as well. We both come at it, you know, honestly, that way is like, we, we imagine very creatively it doesn't have any boundaries. And so it allows us to sort of like being really open about the what ifs. Um, it's a little frustrating, I think, for the tech side of our team, but um, we get by. We have a really solid group of people who appreciate where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. So the the recent headlines that you're talking about that are still in the media that like Uh, point to Dan, have you ever um, stood up for yourself, whether it's like, you know, in an email or like you've actually had to say it on a meeting uh, in person? How how has a situation like that gone? I have, I think I remember a few occasions where I try to assert myself in terms of like, I'm the one who's executing on the plan that Dan is talking about. And So it's important that your attention is fully focused on that as much as it is on the wonderful pitch that Dan can tell about the story, because I can give you all of the details of how it's actually functioning operationally. 
he's actually really in the weeds product wise. So he can get into that product wise. But for me, it's more about um, people understanding, like I manage all the hiring and firing. I manage all the, you know, the financial part of it and the budget and just like making sure that things operate and everything. Yeah. And, and so, and I'm the only like quote unquote C-suite. I hate like being called an executive. I really don't even like the term CEO, but like I am technically the one who's responsible for the company. So, so it's that kind of thing I've had to like, especially in pitch conversations where people don't really know the rules yet. um, And they just assume that Dan is the one. So I think that in that way, I've had to sort of like kind of speak up and like, I basically talk about what I do rather than you need to pay attention to me because blah, blah, blah. It's just more like evidence-based. Just a a subtle reminder that I'm running the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, Dan's really good about sort of like, you know, directing questions to me when it's appropriate for that. Yeah. I'll, I'll share this little piece from my side discovering side door. Uh, we had Dan on, you know, a podcast when he was in town, uh, me and a colleague at Sirius XM a couple of years back. And he continuously pushed us to speak to you, which I was like, cause you know, at that point we only knew about it from Dan because he had told us, but he right from the beginning was singing your praises, I will say. So yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's perfect you know, relationship. Yeah. He's aware. Yeah. He's very aware of all the <laughs> all the things that us ladies deal with in in this type of uh, in this type of industry. Okay, so back to the dream and the pitch. Maybe you can speak about some of those things that um, have been so evident about what Dan brings to the table and like putting the dream on the table for artists who like don't know where to start with this kind of stuff. Like you know, uh, a big band having a couple days break on tour between gigs and deciding a really cool location um, to do a show that you have helped facilitate. Yeah. Like where did we end up with that dream? Do you mean? Yeah. Like it's, I mean, we have booked some pretty amazing shows in that way and it's always sort of come together because we have great artists who believe in us and we always our thing was that if we come at it from the needs of the artist, the artist will be satisfied first and foremost, and they will trust us to work with us. And that the audience always for it is, uh, follows the artist. It's not like we can convince, you know, audiences to be like, oh, come to side door and we'll just choose yeah. for you who you're going to see. People really go to the artist first. So um, we, we try to do that. So like when, you know, broken social scene had a day off in Boise, Idaho, they were like, we want to play a cool place. We found a place and ticketed it and sold it out in less than 24 hours. And it was our first U S show. And so we didn't even know if the, if the purchasing was going to work and all that stuff, like you might've been on the hook to save the band yourself. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It was at a goat farm situation, like a weird basement house of a house of a goat farm. And they had like found all these weird synthesizers in the basement. They added it to the set and, and they, you know, they made a little video it's up on YouTube and uh, just like, they, they loved it. It was so much fun. There was lots we're, of little things. We're going to link to this YouTube, by the way, if you want to check it out yeah. in the episode notes so that you can get a feel for the goat farm. <laughs> yeah. It, and, and I think the, the thing for us is, you know, even the, even the online shows that we started doing, like, um, we ended up partnering with Vance Joy for a lot of shows and, uh, 
he he would do these real sort of Q&A with his fans and somebody described it as being everyone gets to be in the front row of the show and have discourse with him. And we actually had somebody get engaged at one of those shows, which was so brilliant because Dan was moderating. And so he saw it happening and he had a bunch of, um, he had Vance in the middle and the little square, and then he had all these audience members sort of around him. And then you could see that somebody was about like down on their knee to propose. And so he took away all these other audience members and then put Vance and these two folks who didn't know that they were being like, they forgot that they're on camera. So they're like hugging and then it gets to the end of the song and Vance Joy is like, oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> just the delight that we get to bring with the kinds of shows that we're trying to do is really that's the dream come true like that's it's the goosebumps like that's what we're after yeah it's sarah burke here the host of the women in media podcast and the founder of the women in media network yep now there's an entire network i've been working really hard to get things off the ground and what would i do without coffee i can barely function without it but i feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Yeah. So that's that's in the digital world. Um, what's like a you know, something you're working on now, like a new venue you've added to your list that you're like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. Well, I will tell you that we are relaunching our South by Southwest road to tour. And I'm so excited to do that because it's going to put artists touring from their hometowns or wherever they're at to Austin in advance of the festival. And we're just finding some really great locations that are like en route. En route. And so like, we're talking to like yoga studios and skate parks and like, just really fun. We have a venue there. That's like, um, I think it's like a cafe by day. And then we're taking it over by night in Austin, where we're going to have a showcase with all the artists at the end. And we're just really stoked to find, you know, what? the venues can be really cool, but to me, it's the hosts that really make it. That's why we always say we're going after the host rather than the venues, because the hosts are like a character in the story. You know, they're part of how this all comes together. And we know all of these great hosts, you know, on a first name basis, of course. And so we're we're often like referring to like so-and-so is like Doug and you know, <laughs> Billsville is doing all these kinds of shows and it's just his backyard, but it's like these brilliant shows and we send photographers out to the shows to capture the magic and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's a, there's, there's, you can do it yourself. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that people can go on the platform and see what kind of space they want or the size or whatever. But I think the real magic is actually reading the reviews because you get to see <laughs> what happened at these shows and how the audience experienced it firsthand. And so 
yeah, that's that's really where you can find some cool spaces. I do feel like we should maybe, you know, really spell this out for an artist who hasn't heard of Side Door, um, who might be looking for something a little different and is having, you know, struggles, frustration with the current landscape of playing live music in Canada. Yes, the layer of COVID, which we continue to hope is almost gone. Um, but how do you spell it out for an artist that's maybe not making any money right now and doesn't even know where to start? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, we, I've seen people come and start with friends and family, um, especially for the online shows. Um, sometimes it's really interesting for niche artists, especially who, like they, you know, I just had somebody write to me and say, I'm looking for a Middle Eastern sort of like somebody who's, who's got a Middle Eastern style band, which can be like a billion different things, which is, but, you know, you can literally type into Cider Mideast or whatever in terms of style and it will pick up anybody who's got that in their bio. And so for the, for people who are um, more niche artists, it's actually more helpful because you're, you're putting yourself in a, a huge directory of artists that um, you know, somebody's looking for something specific, they'll find you there. Whereas otherwise it's sort of like, you're really starting with your friends and family and then growing from there. And that's really hard right now. It's the in-between. What comes before the the small club gig? It's the in-between, exactly. And we are, re- like, even during these blips of openings during the pandemic, all of our shows were selling out in person because the appetite is so huge right now for small shows that you can control how many people are going to be there. You know there's not going to be any more than, you know, I think our biggest, our biggest show we actually did in a proper venue in Toronto this past uh, fall, but... Um, you know, we, we mostly are in and around 50 to 150 capacity. So these are small shows that are really good for times like these, where you want to control the capacity. You don't have a huge audience. You want to make sure that they're intimate. Um, so yeah, we just, we look to match make people, especially, um, in smaller towns where there's not as much activity or opportunity to see music. And the persistent ones really went out. Like the ones who are like soliciting hosts along a certain tour route, you can put in beacons. Like I'm going to be going from Halifax to Toronto and here where here's where I hope to the play stops. on these dates. Yeah. And all the hosts within that area will get pinged about you. And so it's really important to talk about the kind of show that you put on and the way that um you know, you express yourself or your, your, your genre or however you want to describe your show. That's what really hooks people. They, we find lots of people who are booking, you know, not knowing who the artist is, but more about like, what kind of show is this going to be? And I also love how this brings us back to like, why so many of the musicians I'm sure that we both love did this in the first place, like getting in the tour van and not knowing if anyone's going to show up, you're sort of eliminating that piece, but they still get their road experience and cutting their chops and, you know. Yeah. We do try to give a little bit of certainty. We're actually working on some things now to um, give a more financial, like maybe, you know, how we can do a deposit on a flat fee show, like things like that are still coming up as developments we have to put into place, but we also have, everybody can see the ticket sales. Like it's a live agreement between you and the host. So you can always know where you're at in terms of ticket sales. And if it's not a viable show, you can cancel and everybody gets refunded. It's not 
a big deal. Yeah, so you can't do that with a normal show that artists are booking through, you know, they're, yeah, this is smart. <laughs> yeah. You don't want people to show up uh, if it's not going to make sense for them. So, you know, why do that? What's the most magical show that you think Side Door has hosted so far, whether you've been at it physically or not? Mm. I, I mean, the ones I host here in the house are my favorite because they are the original reason for doing this. And um, one time I hosted Jen Grant um, and she was fresh off her, you know, proper venue tour. And she brought like the entire set into my house. So there was like this huge tree with lights in it in behind her and she had herself and the band and unbeknownst to me, she also had all of her backup singers, but she had them sprinkled in the audience. And so at one point in the show, she was singing a song and all the backup singers started singing from the audience back to her. And I was just like, I felt like tears were like hose, like spewing <laughs> from my eyeballs. Like I was so like emotional. That's an emotional, emotional experience. It was like surround sound in person. <laughs> gorgeousness and I'll never forget that like how special that was and how magical it was to bring something so big into such a small setting and um yeah I I really still you know think about those days as like the best the best shows hmm. I'm like someone who tears up like when people collectively sing the national anthem together so <laughs> <laughs> music at the right moment, anytime, even if it's the national anthem, I'm like, oh my God, so exactly. beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Is it like yeah. a sporting event or something? So that's the joy. What's, mm. what's one of like the biggest difficulties that you guys face in 2022? I mean, there's a long list. <laughs> You're figuring out a lot by trial and error. It's fair. I mean, I'll be honest with you. The biggest difficulty we have going on right now is uh, we built a team to serve the growth that we expected. And I'm in the process of, by the time this podcast airs, of cutting our team down a lot. Mm -hmm. And that is heartbreaking to me because I built this team like I, like they are part of my family. And having to reduce the team and try to carry on, it's the hardest thing that I ever had to do. Yeah. But we're in this position of just trying to like, we have done better year over year than most people in this industry right now. And I like ticket sales have been going up and up and, you know, the price per ticket purchased has been going up and up. So people are like, and we don't set the ticket price. People are paying more to see shows. More people are attending shows. We have more people in the U S but we are not growing fast enough to serve the team that I created. Mm -hmm. So I have to basically reduce that. And so we're in 2022, like I say, by the time, you know, we're in February, March, we're going to be a smaller, nimbler team managing a super powerful platform, but we're trying to stay in the grit with the artists so that we all can just weather through this to a point where it's not, you don't have to second guess if you're going to go to a show. Like that's where we're at right now. 
-hmm. people are second guessing constantly. Yeah. Um, even if they purchase tickets for a show and they put the money down, they're still questioning, am I going to go to that show? We need to get out of that time period for this company to actually flourish the way that it's designed to flourish. Mm -hmm. So the hardest thing is for us to make really good decisions about how to do that and stay relevant and still serve needs. Um, and so we're, we're going to do all the shows and, you know, go after more shows and go to all the events, be it South by and go to as many things as we can um, with the understanding that audiences and artists are still maybe not ready. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we're doing a constant temperature check and trying to make sure that we understand where we fit and how we can serve that need mm -hmm. and make sure that we're the right sustainable company to deliver on that problem solving. Yeah, that'd be so tough. And things change so rapidly, like in the last week of November through to like right today when we're recording is the biggest, I would say, example of things changing drastically day to day. Yeah, yeah. like I, I was in the US for the first time. I hadn't traveled since November of 2019. I was in Germany for Reaper Bond at that time. Um, and then I went to see my in-laws at Christmas because my mother-in-law is dementia and she's basically nonverbal now. So we're like, we're going to take the risk. We're going to go see our family because we need to see them. We haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. And my whole family got COVID, my oh. husband and my kids. <laughs> and we had to navigate what that's like traveling on the road. We're driving from Maryland back to Nova Scotia. And one of the things that happened was we listened to a podcast um, with Said the Whale and um, a few other musicians about their experience managing COVID and touring. And it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks about how effing difficult this is right now. Because I was living a version of that, but I didn't have to put on shows. I didn't have my, my salary, you know, pending being well enough to go and do a show and the audience also showing up like it is a monstrous time for people in the industry right now. And so, yeah, the impact of that is something that I just remain hopeful to that we will get out of and, you know, just want to be responding to the needs as we go. Mm -hmm. The fact that you, you know, you've even built that into your, your game plan, like we're constantly changing what, you know, what is the best at that moment. That's, that's the key right there that you're thinking like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine it would be very difficult to, you know, hold this team so dear to you, but it's business at the end of the day. And hopefully, you know, you can, you have the type of relationship with these people that when you are flourishing, it's like, I got the funds, come on back, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would love that so much. Like I'm yeah. not, you know, I can't make any promises to anybody, but like, it's, it's my dream. I mean, that, that did happen before I have been able to bring people back, but Good. you know, yeah. I know. Yeah. And of course, on the other end of that, it's like, you know, people might seek another opportunity that keeps them tied up and then you will have to understand. Right. So at the end of the day, we're all just people trying to do good things in the world. Yes. Oh, well, you are doing very good things in the world. And uh, <laughs> I loved hearing about this. So the way that I like to end the podcast is uh, giving a little kudos to some other women you respect and have great stories to tell about their industry experience. Lindsay Duncan nominated you. Who will you nominate? 
I would have nominated Lindsay too. <laughs> um, but since she, it's like chain mail, right? So I can't go backwards. Um, no, you're not allowed. <laughs> um, so I have four people. Is that too many? No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So um, first and foremost, I'll start with an artist, uh, Rini Smith, uh, who's from Halifax. And she, you know, she's basically to me, the quintessential, like kind of can do everything. She's a singer songwriter, but also started producing. She's got her own studio. She comes from a long line of like brilliant musicians, uh, grew up, you know, singing in the church and then just like turned that into just, she, she sang here at the house and I was in the front row and, and, and she and her cousin and her sister like blew my face off because it was unbelievably amazing. So she just, reminds me of like artists to the core and so committed to the, the art. artistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love her. Um, also I know this media, you know, women in the media is kind of a wide swath. So I have reached back into some of my journalist friends that I want to mention. Um, Maggie Rar, I met um, when I was working at CBC radio in Halifax and, you know, she hadn't gone to journalism school and people treated her like that, which was really stupid, but she was the most brilliant journalist, even there, when she was like early twenties and now she's been doing freelance documentary work. And she just produced this incredible series about Carrie Lowe, who was, you know, treated terribly after she had, um, you know, been sexually assaulted and like the case that she went through with the police. And so Maggie did this brilliant documentary. It's just one of many documentaries that she's done and had great success for. And I just respect the F out of her. Um, Megan Wenberg, I realize all the, almost all the people I'm mentioning are going to have M names for some reason. Um, <laughs> uh, Megan Wenberg is a filmmaker who was actually a journalist, uh, that I went to school with, um, for journalism. And she has become an, like one of the few people I know who's actually successfully become a super documentary filmmaker. She just completed, um, well, she's been doing a ton of work, but she got, um, uh, nominated as uh, or won Best Canadian Film at the Inside Out Film Festival for Drag Kids, which was just like this amazing story about kids who are, you know, exploring drag and just, you know, this. And she's always choosing subjects that are, you know, talk about shining a light in the corners that need it. Love all of her work. Um, and finally, Mirror Image Media, Megan and Marie, uh, identical twins, almost identical twins. They're um, in video production and they have also done documentaries and they very early on demonstrated how great they were and made specific choices about how they work and who they work with so that it was only about people they believed in and things that they wanted to put into the world so that their body of work now is just the most outstanding thing. So those are my nominees. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to dig in. Well, it was so interesting talking to you and um, huge kudos for starting this company with lots of risk involved. Uh, The payoff, though, I think is just beginning and it's going to be amazing. Thanks so much, Sarah. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. 
Laura is literally at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas right now. I highly recommend you following along with Side Door Socials to see what they're up to. If you happen to be an artist or a musician, I've got all the links in the episode notes. Highly recommend you checking out this platform. It gives a lot of control to the venue and the artist, and we love to hear about that. Please follow along on my socials at Women in Media Pod. Subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you'll be the first to know when a new episode is out. And come back for the next episode with Aaliyah Jasmine, formerly of MTV Canada. She's down in the U.S., living her best life in L.A., and she's going to tell us all about her new project. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.